and I look forward to spending some time with you uh, after as well. I heard there's going to be some barbecue and biscuits and gravy, and whew, you guys do it right, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> it was a Friday afternoon, uh, around 10 years ago uh, in December. I was in the office, and as it was kind of my usual custom, I was looking to go out to the local pizza place and, and grab something quick to eat. So I left the building, walked across the street, stood in line, ready to place my order, and my eyes were kind of drawn to the corner where the TV was. I started watching it, and all of a sudden something came across the bottom. Breaking news, shooting in Connecticut Elementary School. My heart dropped. I had two girls in an elementary school in Connecticut. My phone started to go off in my pocket. Friends, family, are Julia and Ava okay? What town are you in? The questions started to come in. Well, I felt that initial wave of relief when I saw that it was not the school that my kids were at. But then that quickly dissipated as the tragic details continued to come out. Ultimately, as I know you all are very well aware, 20 children murdered. Two days later in the Washington Post, an article ran and it had the headline, Where Was God? And in this article, the author challenged the readers with many questions. If God is all-loving and all-knowing and all-powerful, why did he let this happen? Where was he? After a series of additional questions regarding that horrible, horrible event, the final thing the author said was, if any of our readers has the answers, please let me know. Well, here we are 10 years later. And what are we witnessing in the world around us? Another tragic mass shooting at an elementary school. This time, 19 children murdered. On top of that, mass shootings at churches, at grocery stores, at hospitals. Last night, if you haven't heard, in Philadelphia, another mass shooting event. And the question arises again this morning, where is God? If he's there, why is he not bringing all this evil to an end? Well, in these dark times, God's word is a lamp to our feet, and it is a light to our path. And so if you have a copy of God's word, I'd encourage you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. And what I pray for this morning is that as we read this text together, as we go to God's word, we will see two very important things. Number one, that the day of judgment on evil is coming. And also how we, as God's people, are to live as we wait for and as we hasten that coming day. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished, 
But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. As we look to unpack... God's word here in 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning, I want us to, I really want to do that under three main headings. I want us to see the certainty of the day. Secondly, waiting for the day. And then finally, hastening the day. First, the certainty of the day. I think we need to be very clear about what day we're talking about. Here in the text, we saw three different references. We see in verse 7, it is the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 10, the day of the Lord. Verse 12, the day of God. These are all speaking of one and the same event, all speaking of the day of the Lord. And this is something that the readers would be very familiar with. The prophets spoke frequently of this coming day of the Lord. Here's one example in Isaiah. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. God speaking here. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold. I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. So this is a day that has been spoken of for centuries. And now, modern day, for thousands of years. But where is it? And Peter warns that scoffers are going to come asking that very same question. We saw that in verse 4. Where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So if this is a truth, if this is a certainty, well, where is it? Explain to me how we just continue to see evil uh, just abound in this world around us. Where is this coming day of the Lord? Well, Peter wants to remind us of a few things here. And you can see that right at the outset of this chapter. 
He says, he is stirring up their minds by way of reminder that they should remember. And so that's what we want to do this morning, too. We want to remember several key things. Number one, Peter says, remember the unfailing word of God. You see that here. He says, remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. Certainly, I think what is in view here is their predictions regarding uh, the day of the Lord, but also think about the writings of the prophets, writings of the apostles. I think we can really understand this as all of Scripture. And what do we see throughout all Scripture? God's word always comes to pass. You have fulfilled prophecy after fulfilled prophecy after fulfilled prophecy all throughout Scripture. The barren giving birth, Israel's deliverance from slavery, the conquest of the promised land, the 70 years in exile, the coming Messiah. God's word never fails. What he says always comes to pass. So remember the unfailing word of God. Peter also draws our attention. You know, scoffers will come and say, hey, everything has been continuing ever since, you know, the same way since the beginning of creation. Peter says, oh, you're forgetting something. The world was judged for evil before, and mankind was destroyed for their rebellion against God. He brings us back to the flood. He says, remember that. Remember, and it's the very word that created, that formed the world through water, that very same word then destroyed the world through the means of a flood in response to man's wickedness. And what Peter says, it's that very same word that is now storing up judgment for the ungodly on the last day. So here's the key for us as we consider the certainty of this day. Our confidence in the coming of the day of God comes from confidence in the word of God. God says this in Isaiah 46. He says, I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. The coming of the day of the Lord is sure because God's word is sure. Second thing Peter wants to remind us of is the patience and the mercy of God. You see that in verses 8 to 9. It says, one, don't overlook this fact, beloved. One, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. The Lord isn't slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is important. Peter's saying God doesn't operate on our timelines as much as we would like him to. But God is not behind schedule. God is not running late. Dane Ortland in a recent book said, from heaven's perspective, everything is going according to plan. Hard for us to grasp that when we see some of these things in the world around us. But also, so everything is on schedule, but also God is not negligent or indifferent to what is going on in the world. He's not cruel. It's really the opposite. Rather, the day of that Lord, the day of judgment on evil has not come yet. Why? What does Peter say? It's because God is patient. It's because God is merciful. And he is still calling sinners to repentance. In verse 15, he said, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So, we see the certainty of the day. We're seeing the unfailing word of God. Our confidence in that day comes from our confidence in God's word. But also we're seeing the patience and mercy of God as he is still saving his elect. But you can be sure once all of his children are brought into his kingdom, the day of the Lord will come. And then the third thing I just want to show our 
remind us of, that Peter is reminding us of, is that that day will come like a thief. This is a metaphor that was used by Jesus, was used by the Apostle Paul, and we see it again in verse 10. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. A few years ago, ABC reported uh, in Belgium, there was a store owner who was operating his business, and thieves came into the store, held him up at gunpoint. It was around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and they demanded that he empty the cash register. Well, the store owner looked at these men and said, I can certainly do that, but right now there's not a lot of cash in it. But if you come back at 6.30, by that time the register should be very full and you're going to have a much bigger take. Well, these men thought that was a great idea. <laughs> and so they left the store and they came back at 6.30. Well, what do you think the store owner had done? He was prepared. He had called the police and these men were arrested. Not necessarily like the Ocean's Eleven crew, right? You can be sure that is not what is meant here when it says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It will be sudden. Despite all the predictions that people are aware of, and again, the scoffers here are aware of the They're saying, where's the promise? They're aware of it. It will still come upon the ungodly suddenly and unexpected, and there will be no second chance to prepare. Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The day is coming. It is certain. We know that because of God's unfailing word. We also are directed to the patience and the mercy of God while he continues to save his people. But also we see that that day will come like a thief. And so my first question for you this morning is, are you ready for that day? This is the most important question to ask. Are you ready for that day? And what I can tell you, according to God's word, is that there will be only one place of refuge from that coming day of the Lord, the day of judgment, and that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your good works will not save you on that day. Your social status won't save you. Your bank account won't save you. It won't matter who your family members are won't matter what church you are a member of. Buddha can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. Jesus is the only way. And the good news is that, that you, if you believe in him, if you look to him and him alone for your salvation, his sacrifice on your behalf, you will be saved. So the day is certain. Paul says in Romans, the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. But that kind of leads us to this very important question this morning. Okay, certainty, that day is coming, but how are we to live as we await that day? Because we're still in this world surrounded by all this evil, seeing it time and time again. How are we to live in the midst of all this? Well, in verse 11 and 12, Peter says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How do you do that? How do you wait for and hasten? That's what I want us to explore this morning. Let's start first with waiting for the day. We've seen the certainty of the day. Now let's talk about waiting for the day. 
Well, what's interesting is that this word, you know, these words waiting for in the Greek is actually prostakaho, which means to watch or to look for. It carries with it eager expectation of this day. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Brian, you, you've described that day. We've heard, we just read the description of the day. It's a horrible day. It is a dreadful day. Why should I be looking for this day with eager expectation? Well, I'll give you two main reasons. Number one, uh, it is right to look for that day because it is right to want justice. Looking for God's justice on evil. Over the past several weeks, I've been, I'm not on social media. I'm sure many of you might be. I'm on LinkedIn, but then besides that, not really on it. But over the past several weeks, what I've seen is, I've just been fascinated by it, the obsession with the Johnny Depp trial. Have any of you guys? I've seen some heads nod, so you guys are there too. Well, I have, a, you know, I have a, a wife and four kids, and two are in high school, one's in middle school, and oh my goodness, every day. Dad, did you see this? Did you see that? Can you believe the lawyer said this? This is good. But what was most fascinating to me, all the media buzz, all the stuff going on, who's right, Johnny, Amber, all the stuff that was going on, how passionately people became in terms of wanting to see Johnny Depp vindicated. None of us know this guy personally, but there was just this passionate, I want to see his name cleared. And then the anticipation for the verdict as the news came out and the rejoicing when the verdict was read. Well, shouldn't we much more long for the judge of all the earth to execute justice on the ungodly and on the wicked, to bring justice on Satan and his followers, to vanquish evil once and for all? So number one, yes, our hearts should long for that coming of the day of God because we long for justice. We long to see evil vanquished. Secondly, though, that day for us, yes, it's a day of judgment. It's a day of God's justice being executed. But it also is for his people a day of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So for his people, it is a day of salvation. That day will not overtake us like a thief. We're children of the light. And how... We should be looking for that day when our struggle with sin will be over, when we're going to have new bodies, when Christ will bring in the new heavens and the new earth wherein righteousness dwells. This is a joyful, joyful day. So yes, we should be looking for that day, waiting for, looking for with eager expectation, justice on evil, the salvation of God's elect. But I know that as we look for that day, and this is the struggle, waiting is hard. Very, very hard. We don't know the day or the hour. And Jesus said, we can't. So waiting is very, very difficult for us. And especially in this day and age where everything's instant gratification, right? We want same-day delivery. We want to stream it. We don't wait for it to come out of theater. I want to stream it now. Everything is now. Well, except, well, except one area. I've always been amazed at the extraordinary patience people will have waiting in the Starbucks line. I think that is the one area where maybe people may have patience today, but that might be it. You know, it's funny. Waiting is, is very hard, especially when you're looking forward to something so much. There was a time, uh, I think my son, he's 13 now, I think he's around six or seven, and every summer we go to this, we go to Wildwood, New Jersey. And Wildwood is uh, on the Jersey Shore, 
amazing boardwalk, amusement park rides, water parks, free beaches. It's just, we get together with all their cousins. It is just a blast. And my son was real young, and we go there every year, and the weeks leading up to it, man, he was, I say nagging, but just every day so excited, and because he had one thing in particular he wanted to do. He wanted to go on a ride called Riptide. He could not wait to go on this ride called Riptide, and waiting was so excruciatingly hard for this boy. Day after day, when are we going to go? I want to ride Riptide. I want to Riptide. So finally the day came. We were finally there. We walked to that pier, walk up. There's Riptide. So I said, okay, buddy, let's go. Let's, you remember, he's like you know, six years old. Let's hop on the ride. So if you're familiar with the ride, it's like that big pirate ship, right, that kind of goes back and forth. My son's looking a little confused. We climb on the ride. We're sitting pretty towards the back. It didn't take long to see the sheer terror in the boy's eyes. <laughs> As the boat started to go back and forth and then higher and higher, he's gripping, he's screaming, uh, ter terrified. We get off the ride. He's all out of breath. And so I'm like, buddy, I'm like, you've been waiting for this for the whole summer to go on Riptide. What's, you should be, aren't you excited? Aren't you happy? He looks at me, catches his breath, points at the Ferris wheel and says, I thought that was Riptide. <laughs> well, for us, we can long for and look for that day to come with eager expectation. I'm going to guarantee you something right now. You will not be disappointed. It takes patience. But James said, be patient unto the coming of the Lord like a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. So, Brian, help me. I mean, yeah, be patient. Okay, I could go try to be patient, but how do I do that? I'll give you, there are many things that could be thrown here. I'll give you one thing just quickly this morning. A key to patience is trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So a key to being patient is to trust. Well, how can I increase my trust in God and in his purposes? Well, you have to be convinced in your heart that he is trustworthy. How do you know that God is trustworthy? Look at his word. If you are not in his word day in, day out, it will be hard to be patient. It will be hard to trust him. This is where we need to run. He said it is in his word that by his spirit, as he convinces us of, of, of the truth of who he is, of his goodness, that we know that, yes, God, you, I don't understand all this, but you're good. I know you are working all things together for my good and for your glory. I can trust you and endure by your grace. So, waiting for the day, eagerly, filled with expectation, longing for the return of our Savior. Okay, so does that mean we go out on our porch, we sit in our rocking chair, look toward the east, and just wait for the day? might be tempting to try and do that. But notice Peter continues. He says, waiting for and hastening the day. So that's what I want to look at now. How do we hasten the day? Well, if you look in the original language, the Greek here is the word spudo, which actually means to speed, to hurry up, to urge on diligently and earnestly. For, here's an example. In the New Testament, it's used when Jesus said to Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down. The exact same word. Well, wait a minute. Does this mean we can speed up God's timeline? Does this mean we can make Jesus come back sooner in some way? Well, I think we know that that's not the case. Acts 17, 31 says, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. How are we to understand this then? How do we hasten the day? How do we hurry the day? Well, I think the key is actually found in this same letter. Because earlier in chapter 1, we see 
variations of this word in Greek used twice. Once in verse 5, where it says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and then so on. And then again in verse 10, where it says, be all the more diligent. Those two words are spudazo and spude. Both come from that same Greek word, spudo. Make every effort, be diligent. So hastening, hurrying, is tied with making every effort, being diligent, which what does it mean? It means that this time, while we wait for the coming of the day of God, is not a time for idleness, but it's a time for action. John Calvin, commenting on this text, said it, put it this way. He said, we all labor under two very different evils, too much haste and slothfulness. We are seized with impatience for the day of Christ already expected. At the same time, we securely regard it as afar off. As then, the apostle has before reproved an unreasonable ardor, so he now shakes off our sleepiness, so that we may attentively expect Christ at all times, here it is, lest we should become idle and negligent, as it is usually the case. For whence is it that flesh indulges itself, except that there is no thought of the near coming of Christ? So as we are waiting patiently with eager expectation for the coming of the day of God, we need to be careful because our enemy will tempt us. Our enemy will tempt us to think that his return isn't near. That as we continue to see all these things around us, all the evil, the acts of wickedness that go on around us, we can become discouraged and say, what does it matter? Why continue to evangelize? What good is it going to do? What good is it to continue praying? Everything just seems to be continuing as it was. My encouragement to you this morning is don't give in to that. We've seen it already. The day is coming. As Calvin said, shake off the sleepiness and make every effort, as we saw in chapter 1, to be growing, to be growing in grace, and, and again, as later in chapter 3, growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter exhorts us to live lives of holiness and godliness. In chapter 3, he exhorts us to be diligent, to be found by him without spot or blemish. So here's the key thing. Hastening the coming of the day means that it is a time right now, while we are here on this earth, what God has entrusted us with, it is a time for action and a time for preparation. Oh, preparation. What are we preparing for? We're preparing to meet our groom. So this year in December, my wife and I will be celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary. And when we look back, well, at least when I look back on that day, so many things are a blur. I'm not sure if you guys had a similar experience, those of you who are married, just everything was you know, here or there, it kind of went right by. But I can tell you one thing, and I'm a guy, I don't recall me doing a lot of preparation for that day. I remember shaving, showered, put on my tux, I think that's about it that I did that day. Now, my wife, on the other hand, up early, hair done, makeup, the dress, hours and hours of preparation for our wedding. Now I know, you're looking at me right now and going, this guy? Why would she go through all that? Some, it was a miracle. She decided to do it. But she wanted to look beautiful for her groom. Are you preparing to meet your groom? You might question my worthiness for what my wife went through that day. But I can assure you, he is worthy. He is glorious. He is beautiful. Do you long for him? Do you desire to be found by him, as Peter said, without blemish or without spot? 
Revelation 19, talking about that future day when we are joined together with our groom, says, The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Notice this. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So yeah, when I know we're, sometimes our alerts go up. What are you saying, Brian? That we've got to kind of clean ourselves up for God? No. We are saved by grace through faith alone. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved for good works. And as we saw in Revelation, it's something that is granted to us. We are, Ephesians says, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In Titus, it says that we are, as God's people, are to be devoted to good works. Jesus himself said, let your light shine so others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So yes, we, this is a time of action. We should be busy about God's work. And we hasten, here's the key, we hasten that coming of the day of God by advancing his mission in this world. How do we do that? Well, by spreading the gospel, by telling others about Jesus and how he is the only source of salvation, by obeying his commands and walking in his ways. And we hasten his coming by praying for his coming, by praying, as we just prayed earlier, your kingdom come, praying for the return of our Savior. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And what I would suggest to you this morning is that this is primarily done in the church. So here's another challenge for you this morning. If you're coming on a Sunday morning, going back home, and not active in ministering or active in the life of the church throughout the week, I would challenge you with this question to wrestle with. Are you hastening the coming of the day of God? If the church is the primary way through which the mission of Christ is advanced in this world, as the gospel is spread, as people are discipled, as we pray, and as we walk in his ways, then certainly we should be dedicated to the life of the church and active. Again, not saying our good works save us or merit God's favor, but this is in response to his wonderful love for us. So, the certainty of the day, waiting for the day, and hastening the day. Well, if the Lord tarries, I can assure you there will be more bad news in the headlines tomorrow and the days to come. But we have something this morning, and at all times as those in Christ, that the world does not have. And that's hope. And what is our hope? Our hope is that, yes, the day is coming. The day is coming where evil will be brought finally to an ultimate end. And we will enter into the joy of our master. Until then, may we long for him. May we live for him as we wait for and hasten the return of our groom, our Savior. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us to never grow comfortable in this world. We are uh, pilgrims, strangers here. We are citizens of heaven. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in each of our hearts uh, a longing. A longing for the day when we will be with our Savior forever, free from the struggle with sin. Lord, with you and with your people for all eternity. And I pray, Lord, it is hard for us to wait. We continue to see things, even our own struggle with sin, but then we see the acts of evil that are done in this world around us. A world that really more and more is... Uh, I think specifically in our culture that just seems to be walking away from you. And Lord, I pray that we would 
while we wait with patience for your return, Lord, that we would be busy, that we would be active, preparing to meet our Savior, Lord, that we would be telling others the good news that there is a refuge, there is salvation in Christ. Lord, praying, uh, imploring you to please come quickly. And also, Lord, walking in your ways for the glory of your name and for the advancement of your kingdom. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.